We're in Mark chapter 16 tonight, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there. We're going to be looking at the first 16 verses here in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Uh, may I say a special um, uh, welcome to those who are visitors out of town. Uh, I know Holly's mother is here, and such a joy to have you. I'm so sorry I didn't get to talk to you this morning. God bless you. And then we have others from time to time that are visiting out of town, and I don't always get to say hello to everyone, but we are so glad to have you with us. What a blessing it is to have people come. Continue to be praying for uh, people in our church going through different health challenges, whether it be cancer treatments. We have several that are doing that. And by the way, uh, all of them are getting good reports. Uh, So God is blessing and things are going very well. Uh, I just read, let's see, uh, yesterday, I guess it was. I just read yesterday, maybe it was Friday, but I was reading. Uh, one of our ladies uh, had come in for cancer and asked uh, myself and the deacons to pray for her. And so we do that on a regular basis when people request it and we anoint her with oil and the pastors and deacons gather around, and we put our, hand, our hands on their shoulder. We pray that God would heal them. And she was just saying that she is now cancer-free. And so praise the Lord. Uh, she got that diagnosis at the doctors this week that they can't find any trace of cancer whatsoever. And what a blessing that was. And then she reminded us how Oh, let's see, 27 years ago, I guess it was, she could not have children. And they tried everything. I think seven different times uh, uh, in vitro and nothing was working. She couldn't have children. And she came and uh, me and the deacons back in those days anointed her with oil and prayed for her. And six weeks later, she was expecting a baby. And then about two or three years later, she had another one. And so God had blessed in a special way. We have a miracle-working God. It is not because of our faith, though we believe God, but it is because of God's power and God's greatness. And so let me just say, if you are going through a health issue, I would just think it's very wise uh, to have godly men... Uh, anoint you with oil. The Bible says, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Um, We've seen people that we've anointed go to heaven, ultimately healed. But we have seen a whole lot of people uh, that just kept going and going and going. And God took care of their health issues And we praise God for that. We're in Mark chapter 16. If you found that, would you stand together with me as we read these 16 verses here in Mark chapter 16. The Bible says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought, I didn't say Salome, but Salome, (laughs) had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? 
And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which is crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraideth them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that baptizes, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Father, speak to our hearts from your word and by your spirit. Lord, as we've assembled here today, what a blessing this morning service was. What a challenge to listen to the lives that you've touched of our teenagers. Thank you for the powerful message, dear Lord, by uh, T.J. Gardner, our youth pastor. Lord, what a blessing that was. And Lord, again, would you just speak through your spirit and through your word, dear Father, that our hearts could be helped. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. I love preaching about the resurrection. Now, one thing I I sort of regret is we sort of allocate that toward Easter. And so I love Easter because then I get to preach about the resurrection. But the truth is, we meet every single Sunday because of the resurrection. Jesus arose from the first day of the week, and that's why we meet on Sunday. That's why we don't meet on the Sabbath, on Saturday. We meet on Sunday. Christ arose. And every time we assemble together, it's a celebration of the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's sort of a shame that we delegate, you know, a few weeks around Easter. Now, I also love the birth of Jesus. I probably have 20 to 30 or more sermons about the birth of Jesus. I know I have more than that about the resurrection of Jesus. I love that. One of the most precious things, his birth. The very foundation of our faith, his resurrection. And so here in this passage of Scripture, we have the message of a resurrected Christ meeting with his disciples and his followers after his resurrection. And I see in this passage a threefold commission. 
Now, I know we see a commission in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts 1.8. In fact, in this passage of Mark chapter 16, we're going to see that in verses 15 and 16 is also considered his commission to the disciples. But I also see a threefold commission in this passage, and I want to share that tonight and trust it to be a help and blessing. The first thing I see is a message to a bewildered church. Can you imagine as you assemble with Jesus and follow his ministry for three and a half years, and you're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle, you get to listen to the most phenomenal teaching your ears have ever listened to. You hear things you never heard of before, like love your enemies. They go, what? Uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he talked about marriage. And he said, now, don't you be putting your wives away. And uh, you stay with them forever. And the disciples were like, what? Is it good for a man not to be married? I mean, you got to stick with, yeah, Jesus says. Yeah, that's God's plan. Oh, well, they didn't know hardly any of that stuff. And so Jesus is teaching and they're just full of awe. But the tide of popular uh, opinion turns against Jesus. And so quickly he was crucified. And they, they watched him die. And many of them are hiding. And now the eleven are without hope. Everything they've lived for for the last three and a half years, it's gone. It's down the drain. It's over. Our leader is gone. But then some excited ladies come, bust into the meeting saying, I saw Jesus. He spoke to me. He said, Mary, it was the master. Oh, Mary, we, we know you had seven devils before. Surely they're not coming back after the master's gone. What? What? Let me smell your breath, Mary. What's going on here? Keep in mind, she had seven devils uh, that you don't, you, don't, you don't get on the good deed list, do you, do you, when you have seven devils? Probably almost any crime you could imagine, she probably committed, and they're thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, you, you've had a remarkable three years, but... And then some others come. Two other men come in, barge in. Hey, we saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. They look at each other. What's gotten into these people? What, what's the Kool-Aid? What's in their Kool-Aid? What are they drinking? What, what's going on? We don't believe that. And then Jesus shows up in a locked room. Just there he is. Doesn't even open the door. Wow, what an important thing. What was Jesus' message? Well, he has a commission to a bewildered church. These disciples are about as bewildered as you could possibly imagine. 
They don't know up from down. They know theology, but they don't see any sense in anything anymore because, quite frankly, if you take all of Christianity and take Jesus out of it, it just doesn't make sense. But once you put Jesus in the middle of it, everything makes sense. And they're going, what do we believe now? Are we still supposed to love our enemies? Are we still supposed to love one another? Are we still supposed to, without Jesus, none of it makes any sense. He was our authoritative voice. And Jesus knew that. So he had a message. He told Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples that I go before them into Galilee. In other words, Jesus said, go tell the bewildered church, that that small group of disciples, you go tell them, I'm going before them into Galilee and they're to follow me. In other words, I'm going to lead my children. By the way, 2,000 years later almost, Jesus is still leading his church. Amen? I love that. I know... Last Sunday, we sang one of my favorite songs, He Leadeth Me. Oh, I love that song. I grew up with a song leader that was enamored with that song, and so we sang it quite a bit. But he sang it with such excitement. We we had maybe 40 people on a Sunday night, uh, maybe 60 on a Sunday morning, but he sang it with such enthusiasm, it immediately became one of my favorite songs. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hands he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Hey, listen, you may... uh, been to church sometimes or had church in your history where, quite frankly, it didn't look like it was going anywhere. It didn't look like it had any direction. But God has a direction, and the direction for the church is always follow Jesus. And if we'll keep our eyes on Him, we always will have a bright future right up to the day he comes for his children. I don't care how dark it gets in this world. Every time we show up in church, it ought to be a lighthouse, and the light is inside, and the light shines outside. And we ought to realize that Jesus is with us, and he will guide us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Listen, Jesus is with us. What an encouraging word for the church. Go tell the disciples that I I go before them. I love where it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And as much as we love each other, we didn't come for each other, We came for the one in the midst, and that's Jesus. 
He's the one that saved us. He's the one that knits our hearts together. He's the one that gives us love for each other. He's the one that commissioned us to try to reach our world for Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God will take care of us. I was so glad this morning to hear the testimonies of those teenagers and hear so many of them say, I'm not going to worry about my future because God's going to guide me. Oh, if every Christian could just grab a hold of that truth. And, and by that way, it's not only good for teenagers, may I say it's good for senior citizens, of which I are one. I don't know if that's good grammar or not, but I am one. And, uh, you know, even as senior citizens, sometimes we worry, well, you know, Social Security ain't doing much. Well, yeah, it never has. But uh, how am I going to make this? Or how am I, how, what's going to happen? And I don't get this nest egg. I love how it says on Facebook how to make it off $500,000 of retirement. <laughs> I don't know a preacher. In the, <laughs> none of my preacher friends have that. Uh, but let me tell you, we have God. We have God. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God will take care of us. We can trust him. I remember going to uh, the pastor who led my, uh, uh, did the ceremony of marriage for my wife and I, a godly man, my wife's pastor, and I met with him. I was his intern for a summer, and what a, what a challenging time that was. Every time he'd pray, I'd have to open my eyes and make sure we were still on earth, because Man, when he prayed, I could thought I heard angel wings, and I thought, sure, he got us in the presence of God. Several times I'd just look around. We're still in his office. I thought, whoa, it was amazing. I said, uh, Brother James Walden, I said, you know, my wife and I, Vicki and I, are getting married soon, and um, you'll perform the ceremony, but I'm just saying you know, Brother Wallen, these are wicked days. I mean, this is 1975. It's wicked. <laughs> oh, if I'd known today what is going on. And 1975, it's bad. And I don't know if I should bring children into a world that's so bad. 1975. You know, the, the Beatles, that rock group, their song was, I want to hold your hand. Wicked. Oh, you can't even say the lyrics of songs today, right? <laughs> and we say, oh, I'm not listening to them because, you know, they have hair that touches their ear. Well, I'm not going to do that. Or, or they want to hold your hand. They're not even, oh. And here's what he said. He said, Mike, the God who gives you children is the God who can watch over children. Oh, that was so simple, but so profound. It was nice to know that in every stage of life, God would lead me. And God would guide me. And I believe that. 
I just believe that. That God would do that. 38 years ago, in a few weeks, I'd gathered my wife and two children at the time and put everything we had in a moving truck with our car towed behind it. And this was before they had air shocks. This is when those big old trucks bounced all the way. I used to say it, if you tried to pick your nose, you'd poke your brain. But it was so, I shouldn't say that, but it was so bad. And those children bouncing on my wife's lap. And I'm telling her, it's going to be exciting. God's going to take care of us. God's got everything provided. We've never been here. We don't know anyone here. We don't know where we're going to stay. We don't know the house we're going to rent. We don't know the name of the church. We don't know where we're going to meet. We don't know who's going to be a member of our church. We don't know who's going to show up. I don't have anything printed. But praise God, He knows. And then I'd say, you do, don't you? Don't you? Please, Lord, you got to know. And praise God every step of the way. He led us. And with 50 songbooks, we were able to start a church. I'm telling you, there is a God who says to the church, follow me. And as long as we'll follow Jesus, you got a bright future. you got a bright future. He has a wonderful message to a benighted church. People who are scared, people who are... Uh, Worried about the future, people who are worried about what's going to happen. The message is just keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, some of you raise children and you say, Oh, it's so wonderful raising children. Wait till they're teenagers. Oh, but it's so wonderful then too if you keep your eyes on Jesus. You just keep on Jesus, it's wonderful all the way through. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. We are only bewildered when we take our eyes off Jesus. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. A message to people in church that are bewildered. And by the way, if you're in church and that's some bewilderment in your heart, the answer is just get your eyes back on Jesus. Just get your eyes back on Jesus. All that worry, all that fear, all that... What's going to happen? It's going to just dissipate. Because when we focus on Jesus, we focus on the one who made us all the promises to take care of us. Secondly, we see a message to a backslidden Christian. No, I know we're in church. None of us like that, huh? Well, there's probably none of us who haven't been like that at some time in our Christian walk. Backslidden. I used to hear as a teenager, if you're ever, uh, if there ever was a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are now, you're backslidden. 
And I thought, well, I must be backslidden almost every other day because I, I was always saying, well, at camp, you know, oh, me and Jesus, we were like this for a few days. But, but you know, it's been a few months since camp, so, uh, uh, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. If you don't feel that pull, it's because you're already in heaven and you're not a real person. You're just a vision of something. Because as long as you're in flesh and blood, we have that pull of the old man all the time. And Jesus has a word for the backslidden Christian. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter, who just denied him three times with cursing. And let me just say, for those who were grown up like I was, that you could lose your salvation, may I say, I don't know what you have to do more than Peter did to lose it, and yet he didn't. He denied Jesus three times with cursing, and yet Jesus says, hey, go tell my disciples I'm going to meet him in Galilee. And by the way, make sure Peter comes, the one who denied me, the one who cried bitter tears, the one whose heart's broken because of what he did. Let him know. I want him there. You know, Christians tend to crucify other Christians, but Jesus always comforts other Christians. And we ought to be doing the same thing. Let the world try to tear us down, but let's let Christians build up one another. Amen? The Bible says we are to edify one another, and that means build each other up, not tear each other down. Anyone can tear something down, but it takes skill to build something. If you put a, I'd say a jackhammer, or if you put even a sledgehammer in my hand, I want to say a 40-pound sledgehammer, but at my age, let's make it 20. <laughs> Those 40-pounders get really heavy now. You get a 20-pound sledgehammer, you could wreak havoc with this. Now, I know a little bit about this building because I was here. I know this concrete is six inches thick right under here. It didn't need to be that thick, but we made it that thick. I know these walls are 12 inches to 14 inches thick. There's 14 inch, I believe it's 14 inch block. I know just this part of the building here has 30 miles of rebar. Rebar in concrete was filled up in all of that, those big wide concrete blocks, rebar, Every other one, just rebar, 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 all over here. A lot of concrete. But you know somebody with no building experience could take a sledgehammer. And if they're willing to just spend a few days hitting and hitting and hitting, then maybe resting or go to the hospital a while, and then come back and swing it again and swing it again, eventually... They could tear it all down and not know a single thing about building. And I say that because Christ didn't tell us to tear each other down. He told us to build each other up. 
So let us all grow in Christ so that we have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to encourage, to uplift, to comfort, to compliment, to put a smile on another Christian's face. Let's do that in the name of Jesus, but not like, who does she think she is? Does she think that hairdo is good? First of all, men, you don't have a clue what looks good. We just run a comb. Well, I want to say run a comb through it. I'm looking at half the men. You don't need a comb. But you, we just run a comb through it or run our hands through it, and we're good to go. But let me say, let's encourage one another. A message for backslidden Christians. Tell his disciples and Peter. You know, it's interesting that the Bible tells us in in verse 9, the very first person to see the resurrected Savior was Mary Magdalene, out of whom was cast seven devils. The follower of Jesus who had the worst past has the honor of seeing him first. Why was that? Because all of salvation is about grace. And Jesus is showing grace when he lets Mary Magdalene be the first one to see him. Not Peter, James, and John. Not Andrew, not Philip, but Mary Magdalene. Because every sinner is welcome at the feet of Jesus. Every sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you were. It's who you are in Christ that counts today and forever. A message. Backslidden Christians in verse 11. The Bible says, And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Verse 13, and when they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Verse 14, afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraideth them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Hey, listen, Christian. Does it ever bother you that your faith isn't as strong as it should be? If that's true, you and I probably qualify to be an apostle. (laughs) I'm just saying there's never been perfect Christians. We only have a perfect Savior. A perfect Savior. Oh, there's so many times I've wondered, how are we going to do this? I know the Lord's going to do it. He just didn't give me a clue how it's going to get done. And so many times as a pastor, I've stood up with confidence and say, listen, we're going to do this. Aren't we, God? I believe so. We wonder why we have doubts sometimes. It's because it's the human experience. 
It's because we're clothed in flesh. One of these days, all of that doubt is gone when we're in heaven with Jesus forever and ever. Oh, what a wonderful time that will be. Wonderful time. He has a word of comfort. When Jesus shows up in the midst, it's usually always, peace be still. Peace be still. Fear not, for it is I. And so he has that word of comfort. Tell his disciples and Peter, we dissect fallen brethren, but Christ seeks to restore them. Jesus spent time after his resurrection and put a disappointed, sorrowful Christian back on his feet again. And praise God, a few days later, he's preaching at Pentecost. And 3,000 people get saved and baptized. That's a pretty good preacher, right? God used them because he put them back on their feet again. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel a little, oh, I feel a little backslidden, you know. I need to get right with God. I need to, hey, listen, praise God, you can. Your salvation is not in danger. But if we stay backslidden, he's not using us like he wants to to affect others for the cause of Christ. And so let's get back in fellowship. Open up that Bible every morning. Get on your knees or pray or talk to Jesus about your burdens, your cares, uh, the things you fret about. Take it to the Lord and you'll see your heart get warmed up. Many years ago, I, I had a dear friend and I was talking to him and I said, how have you been doing? And he said, uh, I'm getting a little discouraged in ministry. I said, really? Uh, I... I'm, I'm not a naturally uh, discouraged person. Uh, I, uh, I, I have been, um, let's see, I th- I'm sure I've been depressed at least three days in the last 38 years, but not much more than that. I, it's just not, it's not in my nature. And, and I don't know why that's so. I'm just wired that way. It's not, it's not in my nature. I'm always hopeful, but... I always try to encourage someone that I think is down. I I feel like that's my job, is to lift them up, lift them up. And so I was talking to a pastor, and he said, I'm just getting discouraged in ministry. Not much is happening. And I said, well, can I help you? He said, what do you mean? Oh, well, could I give you some advice that would help turn things around? And they said, well, yeah. I said, why don't you go out this afternoon and knock on 10 doors with a gospel track? And they said, well, yeah, but a lot of people won't even be home. And by the way, nobody wants to hear me anyway. I said, well, just do it. I don't care if nobody's home. Just knock on 10 doors, leave a gospel track if nobody's home, but just knock on 10 doors. And then tomorrow... Go out and knock on 10 doors and pass out a gospel track and you might find that one or two people are home. And then the next day, knock on 10 doors and the next day, knock on 10 doors and the next day, knock on 10 doors. He called me two weeks later and said, Pastor, I got three people coming to my church. I have prospects. And I said, the field is ripe unto harvest. You just got to get out there. You're going to find somebody. 
you will accidentally bump into somebody that wants Jesus if you just get out there because the world is full of sinners. And some of them, the Holy Spirit of God has already been dealing with and they want to get saved. I had the joy of going with a man in our church and I've never gone so with him ever before, uh, but he's at men's prayer breakfast. His name's Dave, and uh, Dave said, could I, could, could I go with you? I said, sure. Can I be a silent partner? Yes, you can. And so we went and got in the car and go to Camby, and I knock on the door, and a lady comes to the door. She's 18 years of age, and she graciously trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior right there as I shared the gospel with her. And uh, Dave says, that's amazing. And I said, well, Dave, it's not always the first person I talk to, but it's not uncommon because the world's full of people and the Holy Spirit of God is convicting people of their sin and he's trying to woo people to Christ. They just need someone to share a simple plan of salvation and they will very graciously and wonderfully and thankfully get saved but you got to go. Oh, it was exciting. And let me tell you, it's still that way today. You go out in faith. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You can still see people come to faith in Christ as long as you got the gospel message with you and you have a heart that cares going home going forth with weeping you have a heart that cares it's not mechanical you want their eternity to be changed forever and then not only a word of comfort but a word of correction in verse 14 he abradeth them for their unbelief and hardness of heart by the way we need that Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit loves you enough to correct you when you need it? Oh, I love that. I love someone that corrects you. I know we've been having uh, softball this summer, and and one of the teams won last Saturday, and that's good. We've been doing that for a long, long time. Usually we'd have four teams playing each other. Many years ago, our youth pastor was Steve Frost, who now pastors in uh, Kentucky, Louisville. Uh, But one thing about Steve is um, he would not just correct you if you did something wrong, you didn't catch the ball or didn't throw the ball. He would show you how to do it right. He'd say, when you feel a ball... You don't reach down like this to hit it because it could bounce on the ground any time. He said, you put your body in front of it. You are the backstop because you have to stop that ball so that you can pick it up and throw it to first and get it there. And so he'd show us how you stoop down and your body is like the catcher and the backstop. And what I mean by that, and here's the illustration... When he corrected someone on his team, and he always had a good team, he taught them how to do it right. And that's Jesus for us. He doesn't just say, oh, you're not doing right. He tells us how to do it right. 
And the Holy Spirit of God not only convicts us when, and corrects us when we need it, but he also tells us how to do it right. He also says, this is what you should do. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And so I love that about Jesus, that he corrects us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means uh, well-rounded, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The role of a pastor is to lovingly correct with the word of God as he preaches. And boy, if you were here this morning, I believe Brother T.J. Gardner laid that out for us. I thought he's going to get up and preach and let those teenagers have it, but he let us have it. And it was such good preaching. Hey, listen, if you and I will be the right examples, our teenagers will always follow a right example if they're in church. They will follow our example, but it's up to you and I. Many years ago, when we started our teen group, I was not only the pastor, I was the youth pastor because I was all there was. And so uh, one of our teenage boys came and said, Pastor, when are we going soul hunting? And I said, well, First of all, it's not called soul hunting, it's called soul winning. He said, yeah, when are we going to go, when are you going to take a soul hunting? I, I mean, soul, what did you say it was? I said, soul winning, you got me messed up. Uh, he said, when are you going to take, I said, I'll take you one of these times. And then the next time I saw him, he said, Pastor, when are you going to take a soul hunting? I said, it's soul witnessing. No, I said, it's soul winning. And he got me all confused. And he said, well, yeah. I said, well, I will. I go out several times a week. I was taking a different man four times a week. And uh, he wanted to go with the pastor. And so finally, the third time, it dawned on me, I am not going to be intimidated by a teenager. A teenager is not going to be more zealous than me. They're not going to care more about souls than I do. No way. And I said, well, I'm going in 30 minutes. You going to be ready? He said, could you give me an hour? Okay. Well, meet right here. I met him an hour later. He had nine other teenagers with him. Well, that's pretty good since our youth group was six. That's pretty good to have 10 teenagers show up. And we had six coming to church. So I took them down the Oregon City Shopping Center. I gave them 10 tracks. And I said, I want every one of you to give out these 10 tracks. And I don't want any of you to come back. I don't want any of you to come back until you've at least given all 10 out and asked this question. Do you know... If you died today, you'd go to heaven. You ask that question one time out of ten, but you give all ten around. 
Took them an hour and a half to pass those out. One guy came up to me and said, Pastor, can I ask a question? I said, sure. He said, is it normal to be scared when you're doing this? I said, oh, yeah, that's all part of it. He goes, oh, okay. He just wanted to make sure he was normal. If you're afraid when you go soul winning, you're normal. That's fine. That's why God said go in twos. Because you're scared, they're scared, but nobody wants to admit you're scared, so you act bold. That's the way it works. You know, those teenagers said, can we do this again? I said, well, yeah, but only those who are serious about sharing the gospel. That's the only ones I want to have show up. And we'll go every Friday. I was already going Thursday with the adults. I'll go on Friday. We had 18 show up that Friday. We only had six in church. We had 18. I said, listen, I appreciate this crowd of teenagers, but I want you to understand, I only want those who are sold out. They want to live for Jesus. They want souls to be saved, lives to be changed. You want God to use you to bring others to faith in Christ. The next Friday we had 21. Then we had 24. Then we had 28. Then we had 30. Then we had 32. We showed up at home one time when we had 54 teenagers. Not one of them went to a Christian school. By the way, I meet people today that still got saved by the witness of those teenagers. I'm just saying, it's amazing what God can do in a life if you'll just preach the word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I know time's over, but I'm trusting that Justin's going over too, so I'm trusting that. Here's the last point. A message for a benighted world. There is a world in darkness. It is not between Jesus and something else because there is only Jesus can save the soul of humanity. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. If there were several alternatives, let them choose one or the other. But there's not. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. And this world needs to hear the gospel. And so the commission comes out of the mouth of our Savior in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I I don't know what your hobbies are, but one of my favorite hobbies is just, if I'm on vacation, is take a seat, get a Diet Coke or Pepsi with my wife, and just watch people. They are the strangest creatures. It's better than going to the zoo and seeing all the different types of animals. 
And, 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 you know, lately we have to say, I think that's a woman. And my wife would say, I don't know. I said, I think it is. No, I think that's a guy. Okay. We, we just, you know, try to... It, it's strange day we live in, isn't it? You've got to try to decide. We come in all different sizes and shapes. And sometimes we come in very odd shapes. And sometimes as we get older, we develop that odd shape, you know. And it's amazing to watch us, but... Every creature needs Jesus. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Every one of them needs Jesus. Oh, what a blessing. You can't take the gospel to the wrong address because everybody needs Jesus. Someone told me years ago, if you'll share the gospel, Jesus will pay the traveling expenses. He'll take care of you. Just keep sharing the gospel. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It makes it sound like Jesus is willing to save anyone who's thirsty and wants the water of life freely. Just come. Just come to Jesus. And that's our message to a world in darkness. Come to Jesus. He'll give you light. He'll give you salvation. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you a bright future. He'll give you an eternal home. He'll give you a wonderful relationship with God the Father. Jesus is the answer to man's questions. He is the solution to life's problems. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, And then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now he's talking to all of us. Even so send I you. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. The threefold commission. Go tell his disciples. Go tell Peter backslidden Christian and go tell the world about me. I hope that's the challenge for all of us because we serve a resurrected Savior. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Oh, it's, it's been such a wonderful day to be challenged by our own teenagers this morning and youth pastor and to again be challenged by the word of God, that Jesus has a message for us. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you feel like you've been bewildered. There's things going in your life you, you just don't understand. Things aren't falling in place like you thought. But may I say, just keep following Jesus. 
Just keep following Jesus. It's going to clear up. The fog is going to dissipate in your life if you just keep following Jesus. It'll get clear again. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a little like Peter. It's like, oh, I've been disobedient and I've not been doing what I should and I've not been what I should be. But may I say that's our human experience and, and that's, that's true at some point in life for the best Christian you ever met. They've had phases in their life where they just weren't all they should have been. But Jesus has a word of comfort and correction. And he loves us. Then the world needs to hear about this Jesus. It's our commission. It's for us. It's for us. Let the Lord speak to your heart. Let the Lord do something in your life. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Let God do something in your heart, in our lives. Make that decision for the Savior. Maybe at the altar, maybe where you stand. But let God use you. Let God do something in your heart, in your life. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe seat it for a moment. We'll watch the next video. Let me remind you again about the Senior Saints Luncheon that is on the 16th on Tuesday at noon here at the church. Let's watch this video and we'll dismiss. There will be a special Teen Soul Winning Marathon on Saturday, August 20th. The marathon starts at 10 a.m. and will conclude at 6 p.m. If you would like your teenager to participate, please see T.J. Gardner for more details. The men's prayer breakfast meets on Saturdays at 9 a.m. in the Abundant Life Room. You will get to participate in an open discussion about the proverb of the day and be served breakfast and spend time in prayer. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. By the way, before we dismiss, let me mention this morning, 
I was talking to a young couple, and they stayed. They were the last ones to leave. In fact, I stayed maybe 20 minutes later and talked with them. Uh, they just had rolled their kids in our school. And I said, wonderful. I said, where do you live? They said, Corbett. I said, Corbett, isn't that right above Mount, uh, uh, Multnomah Falls? Yeah, that's where they live. So the road you take up on top, right near Multnomah Falls, that's where they live, right at the top. I said, that's a long way from here. Yeah, we'll be coming every day bringing our kids. He said, we have been praying to get our kids in this Christian school for months, and we just got the call that they had room for them, and we were so happy. So anyway, it's just amazing, fine young couple, wonderful kids, and so I'm just saying God's doing something very special, and it's, it's a joy to behold. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We love you.